Welcome, you're listening to Poverty Focus. This podcast series brings together experts in their fields to discuss new poverty research and public policy. I'm Cassandra Hart, an assistant professor of education at UC Davis, and it is my pleasure today to host visiting scholar Peter Bergman. Bergman is an assistant professor of economics and education at Columbia University's Teachers College. His research uses randomized controlled trials to find low-cost, scalable interventions that improve children's academic achievements and long-term success. Peter, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So a lot of your work touches on the provision of information and the way that that can drive student outcomes. Can you tell us a little bit about why education researchers are increasingly thinking about information as a valuable commodity that helps shape children's educational outcomes? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, it's actually somewhat surprising to me to understand where uh, information gaps exist in education. So I'll give one example from my own research, which involved providing information to parents about their kids' um, performance, their missed assignments, grades, and that sort of thing. Uh, One thing that came out of that was telling parents their child's grades, we get a response to the effect of, well, your child's getting a D, and the parent would say, a D, what does that mean? Is that good? Is that bad? And and I'd say, even I, who was a former teacher in New York City, uh, was taken aback that that sort of fundamental information gap could exist. But in hindsight, it made a little bit more sense when you think that a lot of families, depending on the context, could be recent immigrants. The A through F grading system certainly isn't used everywhere, and for instance, in a place like Mexico. And uh, so if you think that, well, well maybe um, families don't understand the grading system, well, what other fundamental aspects don't they understand about credits and high school graduation requirements and things of that nature, or the college application process? And it just opens up a whole area where, you know, if we can provide this information at the right time, maybe we can impact outcomes for parents who might be uh, facing a lot of obstacles to this information in terms of language barriers and um, initial know-how. So um, you talked a little bit about providing them with information about their students' performance. What types of information interventions have you seen coming up in the field <clears throat> lately uh, that try to improve what yeah. parents or citizens know about school performance? Yeah, that, that's a, a great question. So I think the theme for all of these in different contexts is the ability to provide timely and actionable information. So not just sort of a one-time information that might be um, uh, distal or sort of uh, apart from when the actual decision occurs, but right at the point of some key decision, providing information that can inform that decision. So for instance, uh, Ben Castleman and Lindsay Page's work on encouraging FAFSA completion and providing these text message reminders that facilitate communications with counselors in very timely fashion. We've seen that can improve um, uh, take up of the the FAFSA and and then in turn college enrollment outcomes in two-year colleges. They've done similar work in, um, for students about to, to enroll in college as well and how messages, timely messages, can uh, facilitate that. Uh, my work has focused primarily on parents of children in middle school and high school. And there, what I found was a, a key information gap was that report cards tended to come out much too infrequently. And every six to eight weeks, they were not very actionable either. You mm-hmm. might say your child is doing very poorly or uh, failing their classes, but it doesn't say how to help that child. And honestly, by the time six to eight weeks rolls around, um, they might be missing so many assignments, it's too late to make those up. So what we did is we provided very specific information about all their child's missed assignments. Mm-hmm. 
uh, every two weeks we had translated text messages and phone calls and emails, but primarily text messages. And the idea was that, well, you might understand the grading system mm-hmm. for what's neat, you know, what you need to graduate high school, but you know your child is supposed to do this work and they haven't done this work. And we're going to tell you the problems, the page numbers, the assignment name whenever possible. So you have this running record of what your child is missing. And as soon as it's no longer missing, you know, you'll see that occur as well. And that was very actionable for parents. And I think in uh, increase their understanding. Um, it also had some really interesting implications for sort of how it changed their beliefs about their child's performance mm-hmm. as well, which was interesting. Uh, and lastly, I'll just finish you know, going through the whole um, K to college uh, spectrum. Uh, ben York and Susanna Loeb have some really interesting texting work for early literacy as well. Again, it's kind of these timely, actionable uh, tips, literacy tips for, for parents, and they saw some really promising effects in that context as well. So you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but can you uh, put this a bit in the context of inequality? So if we're thinking mm. about information gaps, yeah. where do those tend to be the most pronounced? Yeah, I, I, that's that's interesting and it's related to some of the, the extensions of this work I was just talking about. So uh, a couple of examples. You know, descriptively, we see if, if you ask parents how satisfied are they with the communication they get from their child's school about all their schoolwork and grades, well, in schools where most of the kids are already going on to college, parents are, 84% of parents are satisfied. But in schools where most of the kids aren't going on to college, only 43% of parents are satisfied with this communication. So right there, you see a gap. And when you think about how this information is already being presented, and again, I'm, I'm narrowing my focus to sort of this middle and high school uh, context, um, a lot of times information might be provided online, it might be provided through parent-teacher conferences, and both internet access and computer know-how and language savvy and your ability to know what your schedule is each week is definitely favors higher income families. So when we started working with the pushing information via text message, we started also looking at uh, parent portals which place information about student grades online. So we looked at the data there, see, well, how often do parents log into these systems and mm-hmm. which types of parents log into these systems? Because um, this seems like a natural way to, to make information real-time information available to families. Turns out, in the data that we saw across several hundred schools, only 24% of parents had ever logged into the system. Mm-hmm. And this correlated strongly with the share of free reduced price lunch mm-hmm. uh, students in a school. So strongly correlates with income, strongly correlated with test score performance. Mm-hmm. And the more Hispanic families there were in the school, which again could be indicative of language barriers, also the, the less logins. And so you, know, you think you're providing this information and maybe that could um, reduce inequalities. In, in fact, it could exacerbate it by predominantly serving those families who uh, you know, are at the upper income and upper performance end of the distribution. So we've been working on interventions to try and um, increase access to that type of information and make sure that all families can, can access that, those type of services. So does that speak to a need for more uh, outreach to specific families that aren't accessing that information of their own accord? That's exactly right. So you think of some district policies and how they release information or how they might um, release a new technology that's designed to improve parent communication. Mm -hmm. So examples might be this parent portal, but another example might be doing an automated alert system. So there are automated email systems. There's actually automated text message systems that we've done experiments with with where... um, your child's grade dips below a certain level, it can fire off a text message. Your child misses a class, it can fire off a text message. Now, a lot of schools, districts, ask parents to opt into these services. Mm-hmm. 
And what we show in a recent experiment that we are just writing up the results to, this is joint with Todd Rogers, where we run an experiment where we have three arms, there's a control group, and then we have a group of parents where we say, hey, there's this new service, we can text you to tell you about your child's uh, missed work and attendance, um, but you've got to text us back start to opt in, or you can sign in via the parent portal. And then we had another arm where we said, hey, there's this new service, we're going to turn it on for you, mm-hmm. unless you text us back stop at any point, and we'll discontinue the service. Well, in the opt-in group, we had you know 8% take up. And in the opt-out group, we had less than 5% opt-out at any point during the school year. And so the upshot there is, you know, if you do the opt-in, it's almost like you're setting your money on fire, in effect. So you purchased the system, you spent all this money, and yet if you're compelling parents to opt-in, you're not going to get those who likely need it the most to sign up. Whereas if we do the opt-out, they get to try this technology, and you make it easy for them to opt-out. Mm-hmm. Very few parents opt-out. And in fact, when we look at when they want, whether they want to continue the service in the future, actually those in the opt-out group are more likely to want to continue than those just in our, our control group, for instance, uh, which was, was interesting. And it was similar with the parent portal. We did an outreach intervention there where we said, hey, here's the URL to log in. Here's your username. Here's your account information. And we actually increased uh, adoption and, and usage just with that simple outreach intervention lever- that was leveraging a phone bank. So have you run into any instances where it seems like one of the things you might, that might be a concern in provision of information is when does provision of information become overwhelming or mm. too much for people to use? Yeah. How do you kind of think about the balance between uh, overwhelming people but providing information that they need? Uh, that's, a, that's an ongoing point of discussion. I, I think... We need more research evidence on this, to be honest. Uh, there's definitely a point of diminishing returns. We've seen that in other contexts, not necessarily the education context, but for instance, in health, providing text reminders to take your medicine, there seems to be a point where you provide too many messages, they actually less likely to take these important medicines. Mm-hmm. There's some you know, uh, medium balance there, which, which uh, maximizes the effect. In the education space, I'm sure that exists, and actually, you know, we're talking a lot about this with Todd Rogers, we've been trying to test just that. You know, at some point there's information overload. One is with text messages, but another place which I think is a rich possibility, which we're looking to do a study on this now, is actually in the context of report cards. Mm-hmm. With Common Core and increasingly these sort of skill-based reports, you know, it's a very rich set of data and potentially very useful for parents but again, if you have parents who don't necessarily understand the grading system and might mm-hmm. lack literacy skills, you could see that a report card could be quite overwhelming and it, it might be hard to understand, well, what should I take away from this? What is the actionable information I should discern from this uh, lengthy and very rich report card? So I think that could be another area where you could see information overload as well. Uh, so I, I think in short, though, it's, it's an open question that, that should be studied further. How many messages um, about what and how much information in each of those messages. Yeah. One of the other things that your work has touched on a little bit is the extent to which uh, providing information to people who are monitoring performance of mm-hmm. schools, whether it's uh, parents monitoring their children yeah. or, or uh, parents monitoring teachers. It's sort of mm-hmm. you've done some work on um, publication of teacher ratings yeah, by that's LASD. Right. Um, so I'm kind of curious to hear your uh, thoughts on those pieces of work and how uh, what kinds of consequences come from providing that information for monitoring purposes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think with the, for instance, putting information online or pushing information via text message to parents uh, about their child's schoolwork or grades is interesting because 
in some ways it uh, increases, like you said, the ability of parents to monitor teachers. And one of the constraints of providing information on grades is that teachers have to enter those grades. Mm -hmm. And in Los Angeles, about three-fourths, maybe a little more of the teachers were regularly updating their grade books. Mm -hmm. So you'd send out information about the child's English class and the parents like, well, why am I not hearing anything about the child's math class? The teacher hasn't updated their grades. And I think most teachers are very diligent about this, but some teachers will wait till the mandatory grading periods to update their grade books. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a real um, constraint on students who want to know. So for instance, we started texting and they go to the teachers and they say, what am I missing in their, in their math class? And the teacher says, well, I got a stack of ungraded papers. I actually can't tell you right now. Mm-hmm. And there you could think of some important sort of ground up accountability or accountability from the ground up from parents to teachers that's just more natural by making things more transparent. In contrast, there's the you know, providing value added information, uh, which we studied with this work with Matt Hill in Los Angeles, where they made they did a Freedom of Information Act request, they computed their own value added ratings and made a searchable database by teacher name to view through teacher the LA ratings. Times. Yeah, through on the LA Times, exactly. And so we studied both the effect of making that information public and the actual rating labels themselves. So if you're labeled um, more, more effective versus uh, average, what impact does that have on teacher retention and test performance? And again, there are some concerns about whether this would increase inequality potentially, because what we found is that when teachers were published, mm-hmm. the highly rated teachers tended to have in the uh, subsequent school year, higher performing uh, students. So it it appears that students with higher baseline test scores started shifting into classrooms with higher performing teachers, I shouldn't say higher performing, higher rated teachers. And uh, low rated teachers ended up with students with low, lower test scores. Mm -hmm. And there could be several explanations from parents advocating uh, for, for their child to be in classrooms with highly rated teachers, or schools allocating once they've learned this information. But then, you know, if you think that that could easily increase uh, inequality just by assigning higher higher uh, performing students to highly rated teachers. Mm-hmm. And then even within the ratings labels as well, if you're labeled least effective, we did see that those teachers tended to be more likely to exit the school district. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also these performance increases that, um, that were heterogeneous across the labels which, again, could exacerbate inequalities in a way that made it very unambiguous that if you cared about sort of closing the achievement gap, whether this is necessarily uh, a good policy. Um, But we're more agnostic about that side and more just trying to document what happened and what are the potential consequences of releasing this information. Because it's been released in, I think, several contexts now. In New York City, they did this at one point. I think think in Ohio, they might have released value-added information. And then, of course, at the school level, these things are, are frequently released as well. So if you're thinking about this from a, an administrator, uh, teacher perspective, uh, you've worked with a bunch of school districts to try to put forth these interventions to provide information to parents. Mm-hmm. What are kind of the challenges about thinking about wh- how to identify information gaps mm-hmm. and then addressing them and targeting them to the people who they're affecting the most once you identify them? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good point. So one aspect is that districts often are running surveys of parents, perhaps sometimes uh, you think about information overload, it can be surveyed too often, but Mm -hmm. that can be one way to identify information gaps is through surveying parents. But 
I think the, as I've seen surveys used currently, they don't again really focus on some of these fundamental information problems. And I think that's where there could be some works done by, by the districts is, well, you know, what is your theory of change here that you have this sense that maybe parents are going to understand how the high school graduation process works, so they'll be more involved in uh, what classes their children are, are taking, and that, you know, helps their prog uh, progression to, to graduation. Well, that's something potentially you could identify through something as simple as a survey. Um, there's also a lot of districts that leverage phone banks for various reasons. I find those a really promising way to reach out to parents as mm -hmm. well uh, and connect with the district and again communicate with them uh, about timely actual information but again I, I think that some of the information gaps I've seen are around basic processes toward graduation mm -hmm. and it's timely actual information about their child's uh, academic progress and I, I think a big focus that I've seen is um, on, on these missed assignments so in LA and in other urban districts, we've seen children missing 20% of all of their assignments, both wow. homework and in classwork. So then you think that homework must be uh, even worse than that. And that's stuff that parents have the potential to act on. They don't necessarily know how to directly help their kids mm -hmm. with their homework, but they can be extremely crafty in motivating their kids, I'll say, uh, diplomatically. Um, and that that piece is is I, th I think essential and the other aspect in terms of closing these gaps is not to think of interventions that try to bring parents to the schools which mm -hmm. i think is a real challenge for families and creates can create kind of a negative impression of uh, how involved parents are because they think well parents aren't showing up to the teacher conferences maybe they just don't care and i don't think that's true i think there's a silent majority of parents potentially who really want to be involved they just need to understand what are the immediate steps they can take and mm -hmm. you need to make it as easy as possible for parents to be involved and in some ways you know if you think of schools as providing a customer service for parents it's not so good you know if you want to figure out well what's my child missing or what homework mm -hmm. do they have if the only way you can find it is going online that can be a real challenge and you can't just call somebody up at seven o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night and figure out well, what is my child supposed to be doing now so inevitably they come home and say hey, did you do your homework and course they say they did or they don't have any and there's no recourse for parents in, in that fashion great yeah okay well thank you so much for joining us today peter it was a pleasure to talk to you great likewise thanks for having me i'm ann stevens the director of the center for poverty research at uc davis and i want to thank you for listening the center is one of three federally designated poverty research centers in the united states our mission is to facilitate nonpartisan academic research on domestic poverty to disseminate this research and to train the next generation of poverty scholars. Core funding comes from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. For more information about the center, visit us online at poverty.ucdavis.edu.